as we turn our Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 4, I'll be sharing with us on what I call the power of a divine promise. The power of a divine promise. In Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. I want us to follow that scripture. But he's under guidance and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, that we may receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent for the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Habba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave. A son. And if a son, then heir of God through Christ. What a powerful scripture we've read tonight. Let me finish that scripture from verse 22. I want us to really prepare ourselves. Galatians chapter 4. I'm reading the conclusive part of this scripture. Verse 22 down, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bound woman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bound woman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic? I want us to keep looking at this scripture tonight. For there are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, in corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with our children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren. You would do not bear breakfast and shout, for you are not in labor, for who, you are, who are not in labor, 
For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Verse 28. Now we, brethren, I want us to underline this scripture in your Bible. As Isaac was, are children of promise. Now we, brethren, comma, as Isaac was, are children of promise. My prayer tonight is that each of us will have a face-to-face encounter with the God of promise. We're living in a generation that is frivolous about promises. A generation that gives no regard to words that come out of their mouth. A generation that does not understand the power of commitment. That alongside with commitment is sacrifice. That in commitment there is a promise. And without the commitment, the promise will fail. I want to make this statement tonight and I want us to listen. A promise is a carefully made commitment with the sole aim of fulfilling it. A promise provides a bond on your word. A promise is not just words. Why? Because it involves another party. Because it involves another party, your integrity is on the line when it comes to a promise. Many of us have been victims of broken promises. Is that not true? Of men untrue words promising what they cannot deliver. The very reason for the rampaging divorces in our generation is because of the lack of sense of commitment. That at the marriage vow, when we stood before men, we were not just standing before your families, you were standing before the living God. Saying, I do. This is going to be funny. I don't think many of us understood the ramification of our commitment when we made it at, at marriage. Many of us, they say, were blinded with love. And we couldn't understand the power of commitment. 
And the priest will say, repeat after me. In sickness and in death. <laughs> and we say it. But we do not understand the power that comes with that. And so, in the community in which we live, people come together in marriage in two weeks. They're tired of each other. Why? Because they lack a sense of commitment. The promise had no foundation. I'll be with you for the rest of my life, as long as you're okay. The day you made a mistake, that's the end of the commitment. Is that what it was? No. Tonight, we want to examine the power of a divine promise. When God makes a promise, how should we react? In Genesis chapter 1, Man fell from his original position of honor. We all remember that. He was tricked into saying things and accepting an offer he wasn't supposed to accept. And from that day, God sent man out of the Garden of Eden. And you remember the encounter of God and Adam. And God said to him, look, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Is that not true? That was said. It wasn't an empty word. God would jealously guard every word that proceeds out of, its, out of his mouth. Let me say this to us tonight. When a promise is given, time cannot defeat God's promise. Death has no power over his, over his promise. How many of us know that God, what God promised in Abraham is still working today? He walked through Isaac, walked through Jacob, and is still alive today. Because the death of the receiver of the, of the promise has nothing to do with what God wants to do with his promise. God spoke, I will send the seed of the woman. You know who the seed of the woman was? Jesus. Here the Bible says, Paul was describing to the church of, Gal of, of Galatia that, listen, why did you allow yourself to be brought back into bondage after you have received the salvation of God? How is it that you have allowed men to drag you back into bondage knowing that the God that we serve understands the power of promise and at the due time his promise will come to pass? At the fullness of time, the Bible says, God sent his only begotten son. I want to prophesy tonight by the spirit of God. At the fullness of time, the promise of God for your life will come to pass in the name of Jesus. Nothing will be able to stop it. At the fullness of time. The Bible says that a man, when he's a child, he has the reservoir of the promise of his father. But because he's yet a child, he will be kept under a guardian until the time he matures. 
And when the time that immature comes, everything that has been promised will be well delivered to him. Why? Because the time is right. He's mature to handle the promises of God. Let me be honest with us tonight. There are certain promises of God in our lives that are not yet in place because we have not outgrown our babyhood experience. And God is saying, come up. Grow up. Understand my ways. We will live better lives as we begin to comprehend the power of the divine promise. Paul made an analogy here that was very interesting. He said, at salvation, the Holy Spirit came inside us, began to cry from within. Don't forget, we were forgotten and we had no place before God. He said, but at the instance of the Holy Spirit, we began to cry, Abba, Father. You know why? In the past, we couldn't do it. Because we have eternally separated from God. But at salvation, when Jesus died, we accepted the gift of God. The power of sonship came upon us all. Did we hear what I said? The power of what? Of sonship came upon us. There was no way we could have satisfied the Father. The confidence to call him Father was not there. And here is the take. The take is the fact that if indeed he's a father and we're children, then every promise that he has made belongs to us. Did you hear what I said? Every promise that he has made belongs to us. Now, a, click, a serious analogy was made here. He said, why would you allow bondage? Because something was given as a symbol for you. Hagar and Sirai. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. The Bible says Hagar was, was given birth to a child that was considered a bond woman. She was a bond woman. And the child she bore was considered a bond child. But that is a child of promise. A child of promise came to be at the appropriate time. What is God saying? God is saying to us in a way to let us know that the spirit that we have received is a spirit of freedom. Now, what does that mean to the issue of promise? God allowed Isaac to be born because he has already spoken and he will bring his word to pass at the appropriate time. Let me quickly jump into what I have to say tonight. I have here saying Accepting God's offer of salvation qualifies us as sons. Hallelujah. Accepting God's offer of salvation qualifies us as what? As sons and beneficiaries of the divine promises of God. As believers, laying and waiting for you is the divine promise of God. I love scripture in 2 Peter chapter 1. The Bible says, according as his divine power has given to us all things that pertains to life and godliness. Verse 3. By which the, by these things he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. 
He has given to us what? Exceedingly great and precious promises. What will the promise do? God's promise affirms and distinguishes us, his beloved, from the rest. Hallelujah. How do you know a child from a slave? A child is distinguished, is distinct from a slave. What makes us different from the slaves? There are many who are slaves and they love to be so and they love to be called so. In fact, they call themselves slaves. And you know what? They are indeed slaves. Slaves. Slaves to the law. Slaves to the flesh. Slaves to religion. But the Bible tells us they were sons. We're no more slaves. The Bible says here, I do not call you slaves. I call you sons. This is the law. And this is my confidence tonight. I noticed that where there is love, there is a commitment. And because there is a commitment, there is an endowment. When you love, you commit, you will endow the person with all that you have. This is the reason why God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 43. I want us to see. Isaiah 43, let's see what it says. Isaiah 43 declares, <laughs> verses 3 and 4, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ever say, I gave Egypt for your ransom. That's a promise. Whatever may be going on in your life, I will replace the rest with you. Wherever you're supposed to be caught in a web, I will give Egypt for your ransom. What is Egypt? Egypt speaks of the word. It says, Ethiopia and Sheba in your place. In verse 4, since you were what? Precious in my sight, you have been honored. And I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Does it make sense to us as church? That is a promise. It says, because you're precious in my sight, I will give men for your ransom. Wherever you're supposed to be caught, I will give others in your place. That's a critical confirmation of distinctiveness that God has placed upon our lives. Let me quickly go to this. In every promise of God, you know what happens? His integrity is at stake. I'll say it again. In every promise of God, His integrity is what? Is at stake. At stake what? what? At stake that what He has said, He will do. Let's open our Bibles to the book of... We're going to spend some time here. Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23. In Numbers 23, verse 19. This is what the scripture says. God is not a man 
that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. As he said, will he not do? Or as he spoken, will he not make it good? I love this. God is not a man. I'm going to say something very interesting to us. In other words, the next time a man speaks to you and they lie to you, don't be surprised. They are men. But the Bible says God is no man. That is should lie. I went to check out the word. This is going to be funny to us. The word lie. Because we can assume we understand. The word lie actually means falsehood. Right? In other words, you are presenting black as white. And you are presenting black as white. It means falsehood. It also means deception. That's what it lies. The Bible says here, God is not a man. He would not deceive us. There is nothing that he has said that is false. There is no falsehood in him. <laughs> the Bible says in James chapter 1 verse 17, Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of light in whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. What is variableness? There is no wily and guily. Every good gift and perfect gift comes down from above in whom there is no variableness. He will not say what he does not mean to do. He will not do what he has not said to you. He's a God of promise. He will not lie. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And see what happened. What was the reaction of Samuel? After Saul had disobeyed God. Kept all the big animals to himself. 1 Samuel chapter 15. What does the scripture say in verse 29? 4 Samuel 15, 29 says, verse 29, it says, and also, I read from verse 28, so Samuel said to him, the Lord has turned the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. We all remember this story of how Saul disobeyed God. The Bible says this was the response of Samuel in verse 29 and also the strength of Israel. I want us to underline. Look, when we see those words in the scriptures, they are not ordinary. He said the strength of Israel. In other words, without him, there will be no Israel. Israel will have been defeated. Israel was a weaker nation without him. He says the strength of Israel will not lie. Do we see it? Will not lie, nor relent. For he is not a man. That he should relent. You know what it means to relent? I'm going to let us see it in a few moments. Back in Numbers 23. Numbers 23. Hallelujah. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. So we have come to a conclusion tonight. That he will not lie. In Titus chapter 1, in verse 2, the Bible says that God cannot lie. I'm going to read from here, Titus chapter 1. And in verse 2, this is what the scripture says. 
it says, but in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, the scripture says, For these two immutable things, that it is impossible for God to lie. The Bible says in Titus, he cannot lie. Hebrews chapter 6 says, it is impossible for him to lie. There are not very many impossibles in the Bible. But the Bible says, it is impossible for what? For him to lie. Malachi 3.6, what does it say? In Malachi 3.6, this is what the scripture says. In Malachi 3.6, the scripture declares, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. In other words, if I have changed, you will have him forgotten. I do not change. Now in these numbers, the Bible says, I love it again, it says, no, that he should repent. I love the word repent. The word repent is the same word that was used in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that says relent. In other words, when God says, this is what I'm about to do. Now, he's not going to withdraw from doing it. The word relent there or repent is from the today's English, which means to renege. God will not renege on his promise. Men will renege. In other words, the day your behavior doesn't agree with what they said, they back out. To renege means to back out. To rescind, to overturn, to annul, to revoke what they have said. And what does it really mean to renege? It means failure to carry out a promise or an obligation. It's different from lying. This is it. I have said it. We know it is true. But one thing is to say it. Another thing is to wait on it until it's done. That's why it says it will not relent regardless of the circumstances. Regardless of how it might be difficult, God will not relent. Otherwise, Israel wouldn't have made it through without God. They wouldn't. No wonder the man of God said the strength of Israel. I want to say to you tonight, your strength as a believer is not even in how much you can pray. Your strength as a believer is in the God of promise. A God who will not fail. A God who will refuse to fail because of his word. Hallelujah. Let me quickly bring us into this. I was trying to write a few things down during the week and I came across this story of a teacher, a school teacher who happened to be a Bible student. In his 27th reading of the scriptures, he has read the Bible about 27 times. In his 27th reading, he decided because being a teacher, he has an inquisitive mind, he was going to document Areas of promises in the Bible. This is his finding. I'm not saying this is total, but this is his finding. It was recorded that this man found out that there are 7,847 promises 
by God to man. 7,487 promises of God to man. Number two. He also found out that there were two promises by God the Father to God the Son. In his search, he found out that there were 991 promises by one man made to another. I don't know how many of them they fulfilled. Number four. It was also found that there were 290 promises made by man to God. 290. And finally, there were 21 promises made by angels. And maybe this is a, I think I need to mention this. I won't leave here. There were two promises made by an evil spirit to the Lord. One of them was when Satan went to God. About Job, we remember that? And then the last one, this is going to be thrilling to us. Satan made nine promises and lied nine times. Because that's who he is. He made promises how many times? Nine times, and he failed. In all of the nine, he lied. Now, the conclusion was that there were a total of about 8,810 promises in the word of God. I mean, I have to tell you a lot tonight, I am not sticking to this. But this only tells me something. That if the word of God is like a cup, are we following? And the promises of God is like water in the cup. By now, with the number of promises we have read, it shows that the cup will be overflowing with the promises of God. Is that not true? There's something that is powerful about what we're sharing tonight. It is not just that the promise itself that is the issue. It is the person behind the promise. The Bible says he is true. He cannot fail. He cannot lie. Those are great words that I want us to hold tenaciously to tonight. There are four issues, three, that I want to mention to us with regards to God's promises. Number one, God's promises are unfailingly consistent. His promises are what? Are consistent. Paul in Philippians said, He who began a good work in you, we complete it. Is that true? He will do what? He who began a good work in you, will complete it. In other words, he who has begun a good work, he that started, surely will finish. That's why the Bible calls him the author and the finisher of our faith. Whatever he has begun, he will do it. There's an interesting story I'm going to leave again with us tonight. Uh, there is this story of a man who wanted to act in a movie. And they were preparing chariots. It was, a, it was an old country movie. They had to be in a race with chariots. And he knew next to nothing about driving a chariot. Now, in the process, they told him that he has to train. Now, the director was in charge of the training. They trained him. At the end of the training, he knew how to ride a chariot. But when, after his training, he went back to the director and said, well, we're about to shoot. I know I can ride and I can drive a chariot now. But winning, I don't know about it. I don't think I'll be able to win because he saw other guys that were more, you know, competent than he was. You know what the director said? And that's very important to us tonight. The director said, are we listening? The director said, you just stay in the race. I will make sure you win. 
Stay in the race. Winning is my responsibility. I mean, what's not today's computer? Stay in the race, continue the race, but winning is my responsibility. You know, that's what the Lord is saying to us. Many of us are looking at our abilities and we're saying, oh God, how do I do this? No, you stay in the race. Stay in the race. Winning is easy. It will cause us to win. The promise of winning had been prophesied before we were born. We have already know the end of the story. I don't care what this generation is doing. I don't know what the enemy is doing today. How many of us know that every time you pick a novel to read? I don't know how many of us are like me. If it's a fiction. By the time I get to the middle, I really want to peep at the back and say, how did it all end? Is that true? How did it? I mean, for many of us who are readers, you want to go check. Because particularly you're reading a particular person who happens to be a villain. And he was winning. And you're wondering, ah, ah, is the actor going to make it through or is he not going to make it through? Is he going to lose? You want to go check the end of the movie or of the story. You know, we've checked the end of this story. You know the end of this story? We won. We won. We won. All he's asking us to do, stay in the race. I will bring the promise to pass. Number two. God's promises comes with his ability. <laughs> Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 4 verse 21. Just read that scripture. I'm, I'm going to quickly round up now. Well, let's read that scripture. Romans chapter 4, verse 21. What does it say? Romans 4, 21. This is what it says. He's talking about Abraham. I want to start from verse 19. Abraham, the Bible says, And be not weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strong in faith. Giving glory to God. Verse 21 is the key of this. The Bible says, I'm being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Do we all see that? Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, this is very important. To be fully persuaded is critical to every promise. I went to check the word persuade because it's so easy to read these things. The word persuade actually does not mean force. Because sometimes in our minds we mean to persuade somebody you're just forcing them. No. Actually the word persuade, this is what it means from the dictionary. To cause to do something through reasoning and argument. In other words, the persuasion of Abraham came as a result of looking at what God has placed on the table Knowing the integrity of God in his reasoning, he said, if he made the whole world and he has done it up until today, I will believe him regardless. No wonder when the angels came and they told him, by this time next year, your wife will give birth. Abraham never questioned. Abraham never laughed. Why? Because at that time, he had come to a conclusion in his mind with the integrity of God. 
with the ability of his word. All I need to do is to wait. Ever said to wait. The promise of God in your life will come to pass. All we need to do is to wait and stay in the race. The ability of God is never in question to bring his word to pass. Last point. God's promises are grounded in Christ. God's promises are established in Christ. Every constitution of every nation, of most nations, always is granted in the law. Is established through the law. So the promise in the Bible is granted in the person of Jesus Christ. This book is all about Jesus. Hallelujah. It's all about him. Our struggle today is not a struggle of whether God is going to do it. It's the fact that through whom has he promised? And that's where I'm going to close tonight. Ephesians chapter 1. I want us to read this scripture tonight in closing. Ephesians chapter 1. I want everybody to open to it because we're about to pray. Hallelujah. It says, in him also. Are we reading together with me? Let's read in unison. In him also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him. Ever say in him. In who? In Christ. You do not hold God's promises in the flesh. It comes through the atoning blood of Jesus. It comes through the sacrifice of his only begotten son. That's why the Bible says, You children, as Isaac was, so are we children of promise. If we're going to forget any scripture, don't let us forget it. Dear brethren, as Isaac was, so are we children of promise. The last question I ask tonight. Was the promise of God fulfilled in the life of Isaac? Was it? Did he go through difficult times? He went to Gerah. There was famine. But the God of promise never abandoned him. Told him to stay in Gerah. And in the same year, Isaac had hundredfold return because of the God of promise. The second challenge in the life of Isaac he got married, his wife became barren. It was as though there would be no child. Do we remember the God of promise stood by Isaac until Rebekah gave birth to two boys. In one of them, Israel came out. God of promise. We as men, we have shortness of memory. God does not. When we grow older, do you know what happens to us? We have loss of memory. It's going to happen to everybody. <laughs> As we grow older. But you know what the Bible calls him? He's the ancient of days. He's the ancient of days. He does not forget. He does not lose information. What he said yesterday, that's why Malachi chapter 3 says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. He does not grow old. He does not lose his mind. His mind is still intact. What he has said, he will bring to pass. 
Now, I want us to rise up tonight with the sense of understanding and victory. For we believe in the God of promise. A God who cannot fail. A God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want us to stand upon the authority of his promise tonight. I want us to stand upon the power of his promise tonight. God is a powerful God. God is a God of promise. What he said to a thousand generations is still at work today. What he says to you, it will bring it to pass. He has not failed before. It will not begin with us. I love the songwriter of the song we read, read tonight. He says, you know, standing on the promise that cannot fail. When he was going to finish that song, he said, he said, I have a promise and I cannot fail. Now, it is not just a promise I cannot fail. I cannot fail. How many of us know what I'm talking about tonight? You will not fail. Now, the reason is very simple. You have received a promise from a God who cannot fail. You will not fail. You cannot fail. Everything that suggests failure is being demolished at this moment. The power of God for the fulfillment of his promise is coming upon us as his people. The glory of God to bring his word to pass is being fulfilled in the name of Jesus. Let's just pray tonight, Lord. I lay hold on your promise. If you're sick in your body, the Bible says by his stripes we are healed. Lord, I lay hold on the promise of healing tonight in the name of Jesus. I lay hold on the promise of God. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm delivered. In the name of Jesus, let's lay hold on it. Let's lay hold on it. Let's lay hold on it. Let's lay hold on it tenaciously. We have learned tonight. Don't figure out in your mind how he's going to do it. Just stay in the race. Many of us, because of our mind, we're wondering, how am I going to win in life? God is saying, don't think about how you're going to win. Just stay in the race. Leave the rest to me. I will take care of it. 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 